So as I said, this morning is going to be a little different. It's going to be kind of like a, an interview with Vuyo. He's got an incredible testimony of what God has done in and through and is doing through him now. Um, Vuyo moved here to start, start caring for um, uh, Jonathan Vardy. That was why he initially moved here. And, um, but I'm not going to tell too much of your story. So Vuyo is dressed in his traditional garb, which is well impressive. And um, we love to see that, buddy. So Vuyo... Tell us a bit about your story, bud. Tell us about where you grew up, what it was like growing up, sort of the early years in the Eastern Cape for you. Well, good morning. Good morning, church. As you all I was born and raised um, in a small village down in the Eastern Cape. Um, I'm the part of the family that had eight kids um, with my cousins and my step-cousins as well, so. Big home. Yeah, it was a big home. Okay, and um, whereabouts in Eastern Cape? It's in um, the small town uh, known as Mount Eliff, Okay. close to Coxstead. Okay, all right, so quite rural. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> pretty cold in winter. Yeah, the winters are more interesting. Okay. <laughs> and um, what was life like for you? You were the youngest, eh? I was Did number six out of eight. Six out of eight, almost yeah. the youngest, that's right. Uh, the life was, I'll say, rough. Mm-hmm. Um, at the age of 10, I discovered a lot of things. Um, one of them, it was bleeding disorder, hemophilia. Um, the other one is that... Um, I used to be a punching bag from my father, my brother. I used to be the one who was always wrong um, to a point where I had to move into my sister's home. Okay, so you, just to elaborate on that, so you were diagnosed as a hemophiliac? Yeah. Okay, so for those who don't know, what is hemophilia? Hemophilia, it's a a bleeding disorder whereby um, your blood doesn't clot. So whenever you're bleeding, it's more like it, it goes crazy. Mm. Um, actually, one of my uncles died from it um, around 2006. Um, he was bleeding to a point where even in hospital, they couldn't stop the bleeding. So um, that's the kind of situation. And you were physically and then emotionally abused by your father and your older brother? Yeah. Okay, so while you are someone who could bleed to death from the smallest cut, they're beating you? Yeah. Okay. So quite a quite a traumatic upbringing. Quite a quite a tough home to grow up in. It was extremely tough, but I can say mm. I think I was tougher. <laughs> clearly, clearly. And um, all right. So what age were you when you moved into to, to living with your sister? I moved in with my sister at the age of eleven. Um, and was that your decision? It was uh, my sister's decision. Um, Actually, um, during that time, it's when I lost my voice, couldn't speak. Okay. So um, my sister took me in. So when you say lost your voice, I I mean, I know we've talked about it, but just explain. It's not like you had laryngitis for a weekend. No, um, actually, um, I woke up in the morning. (laughs) Kind of funny. Um, Actually, uh, in my family, almost all of us, we are blessed with the voices. We can sing. Um, I remember saying this one day that I'll never sing. 
that's not my thing. I wanted to go in a different journey. Mm -hmm. Then um, I remember like after that, I just lost my voice. So I couldn't speak for about five years. Hmm. No voice at all. So how did you communicate? I mean, how did you get things across? Well, I could only write things down sure. or like point whatever I needed. So it was quite a different, difficult five years of my life. Hmm. And then living with your sister at, from 11, what was, where was that? Uh, my sister had a place in town. Um, Which town, Durban? Mount Aleph. Mount Aleph, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's where she took me to raise me and, um, yeah. And then um, what was that like? What was life like with your sister? Who else was there? Uh, my sister had um, her boyfriend from Durban. Uh, life was better than anything I have ever imagined. Um, it was the greatest time I had in my life. But um, you'll know that that time was cut short mm -hmm. because I lost that person. Your sister passed away? Yeah. Okay. What happened on the night your sister passed away? The changing moment. Mm -hmm. What was that? The night my sister died, um, I was in a revival. And that's the night that um, I accepted Jesus. Sure. It was 8 o'clock at night, and my sister died at 8 o'clock at night. And so from there on out, what happened from then? So obviously you were living with her. You were what, 16, 17 when that happened? I was 17 when she died. Mm -hmm. Then um, that's when I became like a street kid. Homeless. Homeless mm -hmm. um, because I couldn't live with my family. It was impossible for me um, to go back to that house because I knew the kind of brutality that I had to face every day. Mm -hmm. You couldn't go back to your family home? No, I couldn't go back to my family home. Um, that's when I, I had to go to my friends, then um, all the way to the streets of Joburg from Eastern Cape. Okay. And with the help from the friends, um, they helped me to move to Jobek. And when I was there, um, I thought life would be better. I could get a job. I, can, I, I could do like things that normal people could do. Mm. But that was not the case. And what were some of the things you faced, some of those challenges and temptations you faced in, in Jobek? 
Well, um, the bleeding was all day. Um, then I was living in the streets. And um, when I got to Joburg, uh, I discovered that most of the friends that I thought they were my best friends, um, they were doing things that were much different. Um, if I can point one thing, um, many people don't know um, male escorts, so that's what I was introduced into. So um, that means I was going to be a male prostitute. And what stopped you from doing that? Remember the night that changed everything, God's grace. Uh, I couldn't live that kind of life because God had taken my life already. Mm, amazing. So I didn't have another space for something else because there was someone else. Beautiful. Since I discovered that God is the biggest part of my life, I couldn't let any worldly thing to take part of my life. Well done. So that's it. I mean, that's just to paint a picture here. You're, you're 17. You haven't finished school. You're moved from rural Eastern Cape. You've got a life-threatening illness. You're living on the streets. You have no money, no source of income. And here comes, you know, these guys who are your friends, and they're going, hey, this is a real easy way to make money, Bo. This is like a real... I mean, the, the, the temptation to just give in at that point must have been incredible. Indeed, uh, there was this part of me that would tell me that, well, just go for it. But somehow, knowing God and knowing that he even restored my voice, sure. that was the point where I couldn't just give up and say, hey, this is the kind of life that I wanted to live. Um, God had a greater plan for my life. And so what did you do from there? I mean, how did you, how did you get income? Where did you go from there? Obviously, you've moved to the big city. The dreams are not as flashy as the lights seemed. So what happened? Actually, with the voice I had, um, I managed to make some money and somehow I ran to one of my aunts there, but uh, still, um, I built this huge barrier that uh, no one could reach me um, because I was so scared of being hurt. I was scared of coming close to anyone. I would push those people who truly loved me away from me. Um, I was trying to be myself. My aunt tried to help me, but um, somehow I was broken. Since I was broken, I couldn't let anyone into my heart. So I managed to go down back to the Eastern Cape. And um, when I went down to the Eastern Cape, <laughs> I remember um, it was a point where I used to work for 20 rand a day just to have something to eat. Um, but that's when I started to see God working really in my life. 
in what ways? How did you, so this is really what I get to with your testimony, but how did, how did you see God working in your life? Like how did you, how do you, looking back now, it's obviously a bit easier, but in those moments, could you see it in those moments? First thing is that um, I remember, many people don't remember like 2010 World Cup in South Africa is the glorious moment. 2010 World Cup was the craziest moment in my life. Um, winter time outside in the Eastern Cape, um, freezing to death. But um, that's when I met like few people. One of them, um, it will be Nurse Nongosi. She was amazing. Nozimanchongo, Nolundi, Mbele, and Kweche. So those four women, mm. they took me in. They gave me something to eat. They gave me clothes to wear. Then, um, but still, I couldn't forgive my family. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was a Christian, but still, I couldn't come to the terms of forgiveness mm -hmm. towards my family. I was still angry. I was still bitter. Mm -hmm. You know, um, even though I knew God, but still, there was this side of me that was consumed by anger. Mm -hmm. So, um, I remember early, late 2010, my brother fell ill. The one who used to beat you? Yeah. Okay. And somehow something clicked in me and um, we became the best of friends. Sure. And I managed to forgive him and before he died, wow. I remember um, I came back home just to see him and um, the whole day I was busy doing what the boys normally does during the day. And um, he kept asking of, where my, of my whereabouts. And they kept telling him that I was gonna be home soon. I remember I came home around seven, I was hungry. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted something to eat. Then um, while I was eating, they said, your brother is calling you. I said, oh, he must wait. I'm coming, I just need something to eat. Um, after I finished eating, I just forgot that he called me. Mm. I just sat there. Then someone else came again, said, your brother is asking of you. Then I just went. He said, please, can you pray for me? Sure. I prayed for him, and when I say amen, he died. Wow. So that was the most terrifying but beautiful moment. Mm. And those were the cha other changing moments in me, you know, um, that for someone who struggle even to pray a simple prayer to many people, uh, which is the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, mm. I couldn't finish that prayer, mm. especially coming to the part that says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I couldn't pass that because I couldn't forgive myself first. I couldn't forgive my family. Beautiful. Then I only managed to finish the prayer after like I have forgiven myself mm -hmm. for becoming a victim of my family, mm -hmm. of becoming a victim to myself, mm -hmm. trying to run away from God's love. Mm -hmm. Then after I have forgiven myself from that, then I managed to forgive my family. Mm -hmm. Then. I managed to pray the Lord's Prayer. Beautiful. And um, after your brother passed away, so now you're living in the Eastern Cape, 
life is still incredibly difficult. You still have no idea of your future, of where you're going to go, what you're going to do. You're still a very young man, young adult. What happened with your father? Well, um, that's one of the other different kind of stories. Um, my father was so deep into alcohol, sold everything he had because his heir died. So I was like just a nobody. Your older brother now. So My older brother, yeah. when he died, then um, he just decided to sell everything. Hmm. And after selling everything, um, that's when he got sick. Mm -hmm. He had a cancer. And somehow the relationship between me and him still, it wasn't a good one. But um, I moved to Durban um, back in 2012. After moving to Durban, um, my father was diagnosed. And down in the Eastern Cape, they couldn't even like give him the right medication. I, I remember they gave him um, a diabetic medication instead of uh, putting him into chemo. Sure. So um, we had to make a decision to move him to Durban. And guess who he was going to live with? Mm -hmm. Me. So two men that are always fighting, now they are living under one roof. That was one of the biggest challenges that challenged my faith, my thinking, um, that brought me into my knees to pray every day. Mm. But we made peace. And he died in 2015. And you got to, you got to pray with him and, and express your forgiveness of him before he died. Yeah. And um, it's funny that I even prayed for, because even though he was diagnosed with um, cancer, um, he would still drink. I remember praying for his alcohol, and eventually he stopped drinking. And um, he became a kind of father that I always long for. Hmm. But Amazing. also the time was cut short because unfortunately he died. Hmm. And um, while you were in Durban, um, you obviously started to pursue different careers and you got involved and you met a few different people who walked you along that way. Tell us a bit about those, those encounters. Um, going to Durban, first thing, um, the first thing that brought me up in Durban, it was someone who wanted to record an album. Mm. I was there to back him up, and after his album, it was going to be my album. But um, I couldn't um, release my album. Mm. I had songs ready, I have everything ready. I had a studio to record, but um, something reminded me of a promise I made before regain my, regaining my voice, mm. that I will use my voice for God's glory. Right. So I couldn't um, run after money. Mm. Instead, I could use my voice to heal broken people the same way I was broken. Mm. So that was the only way for me to glorify God for what he has done. So when I was in Durban, um, I went back to school. Mm -hmm. High school. 
high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was in high school, I did, actually I went to IET, which is adult yeah, yeah. education yes. and training. Yeah. So I completed my level four when I was doing my level five. Um, I remember it was a week before exams. I was marked, they took everything took wallet, <laughs> took ID, so I couldn't even go to write. I managed to go to home affairs and get like um, the special ID. Temporary yeah, temporal one. But still like um, every time when I go to sleep, I'll just like see what just happened. Mm. So I failed metric. Mm. Then um, the following year, I was actually the same year, I was, um, helping on the fundraising. And after the fundraising, uh, someone asked about my education. Then when I finished explaining to them what had happened, he said, you know what, I think I can help. Some big part of me didn't want to believe him, but he did help. Mm. So um, he paid for my education, so I had to go back to grade 10 age of 27, go back to grade 10. Sure. Then I decided, you know what? In, ed, in order to do only grade 10, why don't I combine those two classes, grade 10 and grade 11? And <laughs> I remember my teacher said, you are crazy. I said, indeed, I'm crazy. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do because I trust the God in me. Mm. I said, I'll combine grade 10 and grade 11, and I did completed those two grades in one year. Beautiful. Then the following year, I did my metric. Um, I was involved with the church. Um, I would go for the outreach. I would teach at the um, nearby church. Um, yeah, I became so much involved with different people that showed me different ways of living. Mm. And I managed to find myself. How did metric go? I managed to pass my metric, but it was during the time of, of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, when COVID started, my sister was my oldest sister, because the one who died in 2009, it was my second born sister. Okay. Then uh, the oldest one was hospitalized and um, the doctors, they ran everything. They checked for TB, there was nothing. But she was getting tiny and tiny. Then um, one day a doctor that came down from Umtata mm -hmm. said, I, I know the symptoms without running any tests. I know these symptoms because I have dealt with them. It was a TB that was hiding in her spine. So she was diagnosed and um, I wasn't working. I was studying full time, um, no money, no nothing. Mm -hmm. So um, she, she's got five kids. So I didn't even know how to look after those five children. Mm. So with the help from the church, I managed like to look after those children because like different people from the church um, they donated money mm. towards um, my education. They donated money towards feeding my family. They will help with the transport for my sister and everything. Sure. 
And then how did you, how did you come about studying what you studied to do what you do now? How did you get to that place? I remember one day I was just sitting there. It was around June after my metric. Um, I didn't like do any follow-ups with my varsity applications or anything. I just like sort of didn't know what to do anymore. So um, someone handed me a flyer and I was like, mm, why should I do this kind of course? And um, what was that a flyer to? A flyer to a nursing home. Mm -hmm. But I was like, nursing home? Why look after old people? Mm. Mm. But um, like a few days later, something changed. I wanted to find out more. What exactly does it take to do this kind of job? Mm -hmm. And for me, it didn't become a job. It became a calling. It became a ministry. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I went to the college. I had only 500 rand. I had to ask um, of the fees, 6,500 rand. I was like, mm. <laughs> mission impossible here. But um, when I got home, someone from the church blessed me with half of the money that I was supposed to pay at the college. Sure. Then I just forwarded all those funds to the college then um, I had enough money to buy um, uniform for the nursing college. Okay. Then I went to the college then, before I even finished there, um, the outstanding funds, someone paid them. So I was like, yeah, God wants me to take this one. Okay. Just without you even knowing who it was, someone paid for it. Yeah, someone just like sent, um, they sent me money, but with no reference, Amazing. just money. Amazing, bro. Beautiful. Okay, so you finished now. You finished your nursing college. It's still COVID, still lockdowns going on. So this is now recently, like two years ago, a eh? year and a half ago. Yeah, um, actually, before I even finished college, mm -hmm. can I yeah, yeah. also inclu include something? Um, during that time um, where I was studying at the college, um, I remember August 1. I came back from the college excited, learning new things about how to take care of people. Then I got home. There are people in my house. Mm. Then when I got there, there was this huge accusation. I had a friend who used to work at the shop and he was accused of stealing from the shop. Mm -hmm. And the biggest part of that, they said, when he stole the money from the shop, he gave it to me. Mm -hmm. Therefore, a hitman was called upon my head. Mm. So I was supposed to be shot down. Mm. And um, so I these guys are in your house now? They're in my house. The collectors? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then uh, kind of funny how God works. Because one of the hitman gangs, he's the one who came to me and said, just get out. Tonight, someone will be here and you'll be dead. Just go away, get out. And I, I had to flee. I had to leave my home, I had to run away. And um, I lived with um, one of my church friends for about three months. But so you, so again, just because I wanna come back to this. So, so you rang him up, you phoned him, you said, hey buddy, 
they falsely accuse me, I'm about to get shot, have you got a bed for me? The moment I sent a message to her that um, they want to kill me here, she said, because it's a lady, mm -hmm. Jackie Bollett, she said, you know what, just pack few things, leave your house, I'll meet you halfway. Okay, so I want to paint the picture clearly for everybody. So a white lady yeah. invites a young black man to come and stay with her who's got hitmen chasing him. Yeah. Okay, cool. Carry on. <laughs> just so we all get the context. I know, I mean, we've spoken about it, but just so everybody gets the full picture. So um, upon getting to Jackie's house, actually I met her halfway. Uh, she took me in. I had to leave oh, so with them. So she came and fetched you even? Halfway, yeah. Running away like late around six, barefoot, even left my shoes at home. Mm. But um, I had to pack my college uniform. Mm -hmm. So um, I went to Jackie's house, stayed there for about three months. Uh, still, I was attending the college, but it was so difficult to focus because during break time, if like I want to go to the shop, you know, um, the taxis with those um, popping exhaust. Mm -hmm. Every time I'll hear, then I'll jump. Mm. Because I was terrified that um, somehow someone is following me. Mm. In one Sunday, um, I was at church, just sitting at the front row, and um, Pastor Ellen Dives was preaching. Mm -hmm. Somehow, I was blocked out of the service. I couldn't hear anything he was saying because someone else was speaking. Hmm. Somehow I didn't want to listen, but that voice kept speaking. The voice was asking, why are you here? What are you doing? And I thought maybe it's just me. Hmm. The voice told me to go home. I went back to Jackie's house. I said, Jackie, I'm going home. She said, you must be crazy. There's no way I'm letting you to go back to that community. I said, Jackie, it's time. Now I have to go home. Mm. When I got home, the shop owner, he's the one who came to me to apologize. Sure. After discovering that his brother is the one who stole from him. Mm. Then, you don't want to know what happened to the hitman. Mm. Because the prayers of three months mm. were answered. Sure. All the things that he did to many people, he ended up being the one who was killed. Sure. And then, Carrying on from there, so then towards the end of the year, you finished your qualification? I finished my qualification on the 19th of November. Mm -hmm. Then when I finished my qualification, uh, immediately I was called for a job in Peace Cottages in Hillcrest. Okay. So it's a nursing home? Yeah, it's a nursing home. Okay. Um, that's where I did my... I, what do they call this? Practical. Practical experience, yeah. Cool. And then how did, you get, how did you get from there to here? Funny thing is that um, they sent me to go and work in Hawick. Mm -hmm. um, in Hawick, I was looking after a man who had um, a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. 
So about 11 carers couldn't live in that house because they had to deal with um, a whole lot of things. But um, the moment I got there, I could understand what was going on. I could understand someone who had depression, mm -hmm. like um, the difference between depression and abuse. Mm -hmm. Because uh, most carers who came back from there, they were like, the wife of that man is abusing us. But the moment I got there, I had this calmness in my heart. Mm. And immediately I knew that um, she was depressed. Mm. She was depressed of living with her husband, not knowing what exactly is going to happen with him. And um, the family and friends, they were praying. Um, then um, the week before I came home, um, while everyone was praying, the church was praying, everyone was praying for him, he couldn't sleep. And I remember it was a Thursday night when he fell asleep. And um, I had this vision of an angel after just I fallen to sleep. Mm. I tried to move, but I was paralyzed. Mm. I tried by my might to get up and see what exactly was happening. And um, the angel wasn't facing my side. It was looking down on him. Mm standing beside his bed, looking down on him. I could see this beautiful white tunic mm -hmm. with uh, golden sandals, with these beautiful white wings that were covering his head. Mm. So I couldn't see exactly the head, but I could see the back. Mm. So um, I remember when I woke up in the morning, I was busy worshiping God, and the whole house was so filled with the Spirit, I was in tears. And the family, they woke up because um, they were living in the same room. So no one said, why are you singing? Instead, they came and joined me. We started singing together. Mm. They had no idea why I was singing. Mm. I was just singing in tears because I could still feel the presence of God. Mm. I could feel my spine cold. Mm. I could feel the cramps all over my body. I thought somehow I was getting sick. Mm. But uh, it was this beautiful coming presence of God. Lovely. Then um, upon coming down from Hawick, um, suddenly because um, they decided to move him into a nursing home because they ran out of water, somehow I became so unhappy to go back and work for the company I used to work for. Mm -hmm. Even though I was supposed to take care, take care, um, take the position of human resource manager. Mm. I know the money was great, but um, somehow I couldn't go back to that company. Mm. I was, I just felt so unhappy going back to the company. Mm. And um, upon getting there, I remember I worked for only like about two weeks. Then while I was in the office uh, doing my HR training, I just sat in front of my laptop, I composed an email to resign with immediate effect. Mm. I left the company, then um, I didn't have a job for like a few weeks, about two weeks. Mm -hmm. Then um, when I was attending uh, Patrick's funeral, um, they gave me like an opportunity to say a few words. Then that's where Irene saw me.
then she called me up here. Irene, Mario and Irene. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then so she invited you to come in and um, then the, the Vardy family or the, they then employed you to look after Jonathan who then passed and now you're looking after a, a man in St. Lucia as well. Yes. Okay. Well, buddy, it's been an incredible journey that you've been on. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I know it's not been easy and it's not been comfortable to share some parts of it, but it's a beautiful thing to see how God has been active in your life and how he's been working. And it's a beautiful thing to see how that promise that you've made to worship God with that, vo that beautiful voice that you've been given is coming true each and every day. Even as, you, even as you move around the home, you're like, I don't even know if you're aware that you do it, but you, you're moving around and you're singing in the background while the family's going on. And it's a beautiful thing, bro. It just, it really invites the presence of God into that, into that space. So I want to encourage you to keep doing that. I know you face some, some pretty tough moments and I'll be honest with you, like what you do is a calling that not everybody can do. But you said an incredible thing to me. I was chatting to you, I don't know if you remember, when, when just after Jonathan Vardy passed away. And I was, I was there and I was sitting with you and I said, bro, I don't know how you do what you do. Like this is the most uncomfortable thing for me. Like how do you do what you do? Do you remember what your answer was in that moment? You don't? No. You said to me, some people deliver people into the world. Some people walk with people through their life. And some people help deliver the person into the next life. And that's your calling. And that for me was just an incredible, incredible moment where there was just such a sense of, like, this is what God's called me to do. But hearing your story months later of how you got there was, it, was, was truly a, like, this is a, the craziest choose-your-own-adventure book you could ever have written. So, Vuyo, we appreciate you. We thank you. Is there anything you want to finish off with? Anything you want to add? Uh, the last thing that I, w I would like to add is that sometimes you feel like you are broken. Mm -hmm. You feel like God is breaking you. Well, I can tell you this. If he breaks you, he's going to build you. Very good. He breaks the old walls to build new ones. Somehow, this is my identity as a closer man. But my true identity is that I am a child of God. Yeah, so good. So whatever that I went through in life brought the best out of me. Mm. Sometimes you have to walk on thorns in order to discover the, gen the beauty of roses. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those roses, you go and buy them from the shop. You don't know how hard the people who planted those roses worked. Mm -hmm. So God saw a seed in my life. And somehow the thorns, they were growing. I didn't know how to clip them off but he had a plan. Mm. He had a plan that I had to discover myself in order to discover the true identity mm. in God. Beautiful. So it's not always about me. It's not what I, always about what I can give to other people. It's not always about what I can share with the families that I care for. Mm. It's about bringing God into their lives mm. and make 
them happy, make those patients happy before they take their last breath. Beautiful. So before they go to, back to the maker, some of them, because every time when I'm with them, I pray with them, mm. I sing with them. Mm. Some of them, they even commit their lives back to Jesus. Wow. So this is what God has saw in me. Mm. And he reaps what he sows. Beautiful. Well, buddy, you're a massive, massive blessing to our region and our community, and we're going to keep you as long as we can. We appreciate you. We love you. It's a blessing to have you with us. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And, um, yeah, we look forward to seeing what God's going to do in and through you in the coming season, bro. Thank you so much. Let's give him a hand. So just, um, I just wanted to pick one thing. Oh, by the way, Vuyo, are you a hemophiliac anymore? Free and, free and blessed, huh? There we go. Okay, so God healed him from hemophilia as well. But just one thing I want to do, to, 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 one recurring thing that as I sat and listened to Vuyo's testimony the first time he told us to us, and um, there's a lot more to it. We've, I've kind of just kind of cherry-picked the relevant stuff. So if you want to get to know him more, go and ask him. But, you know, every one of us have a story that we've walked through and, and places we've been and, and things we've had. And, you know, what's incredible is seeing the work of God in that man's life. When you listen to someone's story like that, you're like, that is amazing that, that God, would, God would meet you in those instances. And just as I was praying about it and thinking about it in leading up to this morning, do you know the most obvious way God worked in his life was through other people? It was through a sister that said, man, you need to come live with me. It was through someone that said, hey, let me help you with that. What are you struggling with? Uh, let me put some money in your bank account. Let me give you a lift. There's a lady who took him in. You're in danger. Let me, let me care for you. Friends, that is the, you know, we, we long for the supernatural. We long for the ecstatic. We want to see the clouds part and the, the chariots come down from heaven and the angels come and do something for us. And I've never seen that. And maybe, maybe some of you will. Maybe we don't know. But the most obvious way I've seen God work in mine and in everybody else that I know's lives, is through other people who love Jesus. It's through other people who are know Jesus and who then be Jesus to someone else. That's the most obvious way I've ever seen the presence of God in people's lives. And sometimes we miss it because we don't like the, the person that it's coming through. We don't recognize it. They don't look holy and they don't look super spiritual and righteous. Some of you always want the pastor to do it. And I promise you, I'm not the most holy, most super righteous person in this room, never mind in the area. But God works through us, friends. And I'll, I just want to leave you with one challenge out of Vio's story. Like those people who touched his life, go and do the same. Father God, we thank you that we can, we can become more and more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that as those who call themselves disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, that we would follow you, Jesus, each and every day. I thank you that we get to have that personal relationship with you, Jesus, not just reading about you in a book or, or listening about you one morning a week, but we get to enjoy a, a living and active relationship with our Savior where we get to commune with you day in and day out, God. You're a God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are infinite beyond comprehension. We will never know the depths of you, Lord. 
And yet you are a personal father to us. You are a friend. You are a counselor. You are a comforter. You are a savior to us. A God who lays down his life for us so that we can live in that restored relationship, Lord. And what a beautiful testimony and an example you have given us this morning through Voyo of that, Lord, of restored relationships. Not only of his restored life, God, but of a restored relationships through those who were his abusers, Lord. Through those who would have ended his life. That because he is forgiven, he was able to forgive, God. What an incredible blessing that is, Father. And I pray this morning, Lord God, that we would be like Jesus to those around us. I thank you for the example of Tertia and Spiwe, Lord God, that she has been the hands and feet of Jesus to that young man and to that family. Father, by your spirit, remind us every day, open our hearts to be aware of the one in front of us, the person we meet, and bring to mind how we can help that person and, and be Jesus to that person in that moment. We pray these things in your loving name and you're full of grace, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.